We build people. It's what the church is all about. It's what we're all about here. We want to build you up in your most holy faith. That's what the scripture commands us to do. And uh, so today I want to take a couple of moments and I want to encourage you with the word. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation or, or seen something happen and your response was, how did they do that? You know, maybe uh, it was last year I was thinking about uh, Odell Beckham's one-handed catch last year that they played about, you know, 10,000 times on repeat all season, you know, the one-handed grab there. How did he do that? And that's what I remember hearing Chris Collinsworth say it over and over again during the broadcast. How did he do that? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Ever been to a magic show? How did he do that? Right? We've all had those moments, you know, or... I remember growing up as a kid watching the, the Bulls in the, in the finals and Michael Jordan jumps one way and changes directions in midair and people say, how did he do that? Well, I want to tell you, when it comes to those how did he do that moments, there's no one in all of human history that leaves us scratching our head more than Jesus. Jesus left people in awe, wondering how in the world did he do that. But the answer to that question is actually very simple because the answer is the same in every scenario. He did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on him. In fact, Jesus even said this. He said, I only do the things that the Father tells me to. Now, when it comes to the church today, there's volumes of book books that have been written about what we do and how to do what we do and how to organize and how to prepare and all of those things. And that's great. Thank God for information and and things we can learn from the experiences of others. But when it comes to a life being snatched out of darkness and into light, when it comes to a marriage being put back together, when it comes to a prodigal son or daughter coming home, when it comes to somebody being delivered from bondage or an addiction All of those things aren't done by organization or by planning. Those things are done the same way that Jesus operated. They're done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're in this series of We Build People, what I want to emphasize to you today is is the how. How do we build people? Last week I talked about six blessings of, of building people. There's all kinds of blessings. We only covered six of them, but... But today I want to talk about how we do it. But I don't want to just jump in and assume that everybody is, is on board for wanting to know how we do it. So let me just quickly give you the why. Why would we even want to be about this thing of building people? Well, it's very simple. See, Jesus gave us an invitation And if you're here today and you're hanging your hope of eternity on a relationship with God through Jesus, and and I hope you are, that's the right choice. But if you're hanging your hope of eternity on that relationship, you ought to know what the stipulations for that relationship are. And Jesus was very clear in Matthew chapter 16. He told us what it looks like to be in relationship with him. He said this in Matthew 16, verse 24. Check this verse out. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and can we say the last two words together? Follow me. In other words, Jesus said, If you want to go where I'm going, you need to do what I'm doing. Take up your cross and 
follow me. And, and what is Jesus doing? I'll tell you very simply. Jesus is building the church. In fact, it was in that same chapter, in that same conversation with his disciples of Matthew 16. He looked at Peter who had just made an incredible profession of faith in who Jesus is. And Jesus looked at him. And he said, I will build my church. And not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against it. Jesus is building the church. That's what Jesus is doing. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3. I I love this verse. Go with me if you have a Bible. The Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 4 says these words. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Can I tell you that he's the master architect? God is the builder of everything. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians, speaking about Jesus, who is the fullness of God in bodily form, the Bible says that in him, in Jesus... All things were created, things in heaven and things on the earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the master architect. He's the designer. He's the builder of our lives. He began all the way back in Genesis 1-3 when he uh, separated the light from the darkness and he started the clock on creation. And when you look at all that Jesus has made, you look at his magnum opus, you look at his masterpiece, work of art, his piece de resistance, it's the church. The church. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any more purposeful than what God is doing in the church. And so if we're going to be a part of what Jesus is doing, if we're going to take up the call that he invites us to, to follow him, then we have to be busy about building the church. And the church is people. If you're still there in Hebrews 3, look at verse 6 there. It says, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Listen to this next part. You might want to underline this in your Bible, these next words. It says, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which We glory. Can I just tell you this morning, Jesus is working in your life if you hold firmly to that hope that we have in Him, the confidence that we have in Christ. He's building. He's working right now in your life. You say, well, I don't see God working. Well, maybe He's working on the foundation. Maybe He's working in the basement. But the Bible says in Romans, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And what I want you to grab a hold of today is not only is God working to build your house, to build this church, but God is working through us. The Bible says we are co-laborers with Christ Jesus. We are called into partnership with Christ in building people's lives. And the way that we do it, the way that we do it, is the same way that Jesus did it, with the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when it's all been said and it's all been done, and people say, how did they do that? All the glory goes back to God. It's not about a plan. It's not about a strategy. It's not about a campaign. 
It's not about clever marketing. We look at what has been done. And we say this could be by no other name except the name of Jesus. And so this morning in the time that we have. I just want to share one, one thing that we do as a church. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now truth is I have six of them. But I heard there might be cake out there again. And I think I preach shorter when there's cake. So I want to give you one thing that we do that's empowered by the Spirit. It should be if we're going to build people. And that is that we have Spirit-empowered worship. Now we had an extended time of worship this morning as we sang and gathered around the altars. But I want to let you know we need the worship in the church to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen, if you just want to hear good singing and good music, you should get you a ticket to go see a concert because you pay for that ticket and those people sing and play for your enjoyment. But when you come into the house of God, it's different. Yes, we should give our best. Yes, we should have excellence whenever we can have excellence. But you're not the audience. There's an audience of one in the house of God. And as much as we want you to be inspired and 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 compelled to participate. The reality is we're only looking for one smile. And it's the smile on the face of our Heavenly Father. If our worship pleases Him. That's all that matters. Amen? Amen? If it pleases God. Because listen. The Bible says that He inhabits the praises of His people. That, that's why I believe that the... The worship experience, the corporate worship gathering in the church ought to be the most exciting thing that happens all week in this community. I mean, I mean, when, 10, 30, when that clock ticks down and the worship team begins, God is about to inhabit something. This ought to be the most energetic, on fire, exciting moment. And I'm not just talking about hype. I'm not talking about showmanship. I'm talking about the reality that there is an expectation in the heart of God's people that God is in this place. That's spirit-empowered worship. And when we have that, when we have spirit-empowered worship, I want you to know we have the potential for the supernatural to enter into the atmosphere. When we have spirit-empowered worship, we have the potential for the supernatural to move into this atmosphere. Can I just tell you, there's so, there's so much that happens when the Spirit of God blesses the worship of God's people. It's more than just giving Him praise. Can I tell you this morning that worship is warfare for the children of God. We do our warfare, and I'm going to show you this in the Scripture. We do our warfare in our worship in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Old Testament story. Really, I love this story. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'll just give you a little bit of the background. What's happening here is Jehoshaphat, the king of God's people, has been surrounded. He's been surrounded by a vast army, the Bible says. Multiple armies. A vast army has surrounded him. And he is stricken with fear, as you might expect. The Bible says he goes into prayer. He begins to call out on God. He's asking God to help them, to save the people. And God uses a, a prophet in that moment to stand up and speak a word to King Jehoshaphat. And the word is this. The word that comes to him is simply, the battle is not yours. God said it's mine. That's in Second Chronicles chapter 20 in verse 
15. The battle is not yours. It's God's. And then something amazing happens in the story. Jehoshaphat receives that word. The battle is the Lord's. It's not mine. The Bible says he fell prostrate on his face. He laid flat on his face before the Lord. And he began to worship. And the Bible says that all of the people of Jerusalem and Judah went down likewise. They fell on their faces and they began to worship God. And something in that moment shifted in the atmosphere. Something happened when the people of God sought his face. They had a spiritual moment, an encounter with the Most High God. And what shifted in the atmosphere changed Jehoshaphat's entire outlook on the situation. In fact, it changed it so much so. He got up off of his face and he was so convinced that God was going to fight the battle for him that he got up the next morning and he went out to speak to his troops. And you know what he said? He said, let's take the worship team and put them out in front of the army. What kind of military strategy is that? It's the strategy of a person that understands that worship is our warfare. Ephesians says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we are in a spiritual battle against powers and principalities of this earth. And and this is a a physical war that illustrates what happens every time we have spirit-empowered worship. Jehoshaphat called the worship team and he said, you're going to march out in front of the soldiers. They're not really essential, apparently. God said he's going to fight this battle for us. And they went out and they began to sing the praises of God. They began to sing. And look at verse 22 there. It says, as they began to sing... And praise the Lord set ambushments against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. God entirely routed their enemies before them through praise. You know, Psalm 68 says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. That's exactly what happened in this moment. They began to lift up the name of God and their enemies were scattered before them. Worship is our warfare. And can I tell you, worship changes the atmosphere. Not just, not just in the church, but even in your own home, in your own life, in your own heart. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Worship changes the atmosphere. I think about the story in Acts chapter 16. Many of you know it. Paul and Silas, they're in prison. They had been arrested. They had been flogged severely, the Bible says, with rods. They had been beaten and their feet were locked in stocks in the inner cell of the prison. Let me just say, worship is not dependent upon the right atmosphere. Worship creates the right atmosphere. If you wait till you feel like it to praise God, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the moment. Worship doesn't respond to the atmosphere Worship sets the atmosphere. Worship is not the the thermometer that reads what is happening in the room. Worship is the thermostat that dictates the temperature that we're going to go to spiritually. And so here's Paul and Silas. They've been beaten. They're in the inner cell of the prison. Their feet are locked in stocks. And the Bible says at midnight. I love this. Acts 16 verse 25. At about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, it says, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. 
I believe that God still breaks chains in worship. I believe that if we will lift up a praise to God, He will change the atmosphere. He will change the circumstances of our life. And as they worshipped God, two things happened. First of all, other people were listening. And that's an important aspect of our worship because worship, not only is it our warfare, not only does it set the atmosphere, but worship is our witness The Bible says in Psalm 40 and verse 3, He put a new song in my heart. Many will see it in fear and they'll put their trust in God. I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning. As I look around this room, you may, there may be someone here listening to me that you don't even have a relationship with God. Maybe somebody drug you here. Maybe you just thought you'd come and check this out. But the reality is because we chose to worship God this morning, the Holy Spirit is pulling at your heart even now. Now the response is still entirely up to you. But the reality is we're tapping into something that you don't yet know. That we were created in the image of our God. That He hardwired us for relationship with Himself. And when we worship God, we reach toward God. And more importantly, God reaches towards us. He inhabits our praises. And as Paul and Silas began to reach for God, even with shackled hands and feet, the presence of God came into that jail cell. The presence of God came in and people heard it and they were impacted by it because they knew how much pain they were in. They knew that this was not emotionalism, this was not religion, this was a sacrifice of praise. And when they lifted up a sacrifice of praise, not only did it witness to those in the room, it shifted the atmosphere. The Bible says that the foundations were shaken, the prison doors flew open. And we don't have time this morning to read the rest of the story, but as it ends, the jailer, he thought that they had all gotten away in the night. He thought his life was going to be taken from him because in that culture and in that day, he would have to pay the penalty for the crimes of the prisoners that got away on his watch. And the Bible says he was about to fall on his own sword and take his life when Paul said, don't harm yourself, we're all here. In the next few moments, Paul gave an altar call right there on a dusty prison floor. And he led that man and his whole family to Christ. Worship that is spirit-empowered changes the atmosphere. And you know, not just with us, this is not just an adult thing. Even with our children, the Bible says that the atmosphere can be changed by our children. I, I don't know if this ever happens to you. Probably I'm the only parent that deals with this. But some morning, when I'm getting my kids out the door and getting them off to school, we get some fussing and fighting going on. I know I'm the only one, but let me just tell you about my life. And sometimes, we desperately need to hit the reset button in our house. They're coming out the door, they're, they're, and I know you saw them standing up here, and they're just angels, and you can never imagine this, but it's the other kids we don't bring to church with us that I'm talking about. <laughs> My two girls, they're 18 months apart, and they're best friends and worst enemies, and if you grew up with siblings or you have kids close, you know what that's like. And some days, they just, oh man, they just, they won't, they won't leave each other alone. And, and we get in the car and we're going to school and we're running late. And man, we just need to restart this day. We just need to rewind about an hour and a half. And I wish we could just start all over. And the good news is we can. 
Because worship doesn't respond to the circumstances. It sets the atmosphere. The Bible says this. Psalms chapter 8. Every parent ought to make a note of this verse. Psalms chapter 8 and verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Let me tell you what that means. It means that God has ordained praise, that when your children begin to praise God, it establishes a stronghold against the schemes of the enemy. It, it builds a line that the enemy cannot cross. And why, why would it say to silence the mouth of the avenger? It silences the avenger because Jesus said Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he's doing. He's accusing. He's lying. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth. And so when our children even begin to worship God, when our preschoolers begin to declare, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I'm going to tell you, Satan cannot stand the word of God. He has no authority over the word of God. That's why when he came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, every time Jesus responded by saying, it is written. And even when our little children understand this simple concept that the Bible that's God's authoritative word. Says that Jesus loves me. The devil cannot come with his condemnation and his lies saying you're unloved. You're unwanted. All of a sudden praise shifts the atmosphere. Something different begins to take form as we worship. So for me sometimes here's what I do. I, I always have a worship CD in my car. And there's some mornings I was, I was riding with uh, Thomas down to Baltimore yesterday. Uh, for our men's conference over the weekend and and I had the same CD playing and I got to this song and I said I said hey this this is the song that I use sometimes with my girls to shift the atmosphere and I, and I turned it up sometimes boy that you know we get in the car and you, you know what it's like moms and dads like, just just be quiet just stop talking And I, sometimes I just get in the car and I say, girls, girls, we're, we're just going to reset. Listen, we're just going to start over. Stop arguing. Sometimes I just reach over and I turn on this worship CD. No, I'm not just ignoring my kids and drowning them out with music. I turn it on and I say, come on, girls, sing this with me. And this song just begins to play that says, I am, I am, I am the one you love. Come on, sing. And they sing. That's who I am. I am. I am the one you love. Now, I only got about three and a half blocks to do this because we live really close. But by the time we get to that light, something is different in the atmosphere of that car. The tension and the strife that we climbed in with is not there any longer. Why? Because worship changes the atmosphere. Spirit-empowered Worship, And that's why as a church, if we're going to build people, we have to invite them in to a spirit-filled worship experience. That we have to come in with a heart that says, God, we want you to have your way. Not a heart that says, I wanted about 25 more minutes to preach, and, uh, and now it's, it's after 12, and 
I'm not going to get the same other five points. No, a heart that said last night while I was sitting in my office working on point number six, the Holy Spirit said, call people to the altar tomorrow and pray for healing. Okay. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And if that's all you want us to do today, yes, Lord. If I don't get any of this stuff that I spent about 10 hours this week preparing, okay, Lord. Because we move in with expectation of holy interruption. And we say, God, have your way. Come and move. And when we have spirit-empowered worship, it will be our witness. It will be our warfare. And it will change the atmosphere. It will shift the atmosphere. That all of a sudden, hearts that were heavy become light. Eyes that were dim find focus and clarity. It's like that old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we begin to fix our eyes on him, as we exalt him together, all the other stuff fades into the periphery. The atmosphere is changed. 